And so I'll kind of tell you, today's a two birds, one stone kind of day. Uh, we're taking a breather from the book of Mark. We've been in there for a year, and uh, we're taking just a week off, and, and that's okay. Um, still got a ways to go on there, so you won't miss it too much. We'll be back there next week. Um, for us as a church, like, I will, I'll go ahead and tell you, like, if you're a guest today, if you were here for baptism, I hope you'll get something out of this too. But today's kind of a vision day for us, for, for who we are and some things that we do as a church. And so... It, to give you a little bit of story, like for those of you who are going to be in Origins 101 next Sunday afternoon, which is kind of our, uh, just kind of our introduction to who we are and how we function, uh, you'll hear some of this next week too. But for the rest of you, um, give you a little bit of background about the kind of church we are and why we're here. Um, so for us, like we know in downtown, in 29601, there are many great faith families. Like there are, you know, there are some, some faith families that we definitely consider partners that we love dearly, that we know that they are pursuing Jesus, that they're sharing the gospel and they are making disciples who make disciples. And we appreciate them, every single one of them. Um, and so we're not trying to be better than them. Uh, we're not trying to be the church in downtown. We're trying to be a church in downtown for downtown. And as a result, like we feel like God's called us to be a, a little bit different um, because there are just a ton of people in downtown. And so one of the ways that we are going to strive to be very different um, is like Sundays, this is important. When we get to celebrate baptism together, it's important. When we get to worship together, it's important. When we get to circle around the word together, it's important. But it's not our identity. Like, this is not who we are. It's what we get to do as a result of who we are. Who we are is a family that has been redeemed collectively by Jesus for his glory and his mission in this city. And as a result, the way that we feel that we need to be different to accomplish that is that we actually need to know each other and be known by each other. And so here's, here's the giveaway. If, if we just show up on Sundays... And no matter how good we are, how intentional we are, if we are just here on Sundays for a Sunday experience, we will not be that family. We won't. Because we can't know each other and be known by each other if we just gather together one day a week. Like, that's the reality. Now, if you're new, if you've started joining us for a little while, this is not to say go away. We're not telling you to do that. We're not telling you that if, if you've been coming on Sundays and you feel like that's all you can do right now, that you need to leave. We're not telling you that. But what I am saying is that as a faith family, like the way we're going to be family is not just Sundays. Not just Sundays. And so today... We're not going to have a huge chunk of scripture. We're going to talk about a little bit of vision of, of something that we do called community groups. They're launching this week and next week. We want to talk about um, why we do them, how we do them, and what we do in them. And we want to make sure we have an accurate picture. We're doing this for a couple reasons. Number one, to take a little pressure off community group leaders so that they don't have to go over all of this in the first two weeks of community group. But number two, Sundays are important because we are all in the same room together at the same time so we can hit everybody with one, one brushstroke. And so that's the goal. Let me pray, and then uh, we're going to read and, and talk through a few things today. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you so much for Jesus. And, and through him, God, we can know you. We can be known by you. But also, God, through him, we can know you, be known by you, but also know each other and be known by each other. You've not only given us this vertical exchange of knowing you, but you've given us this horizontal exchange of, of being all under the same dad. So now we are brothers and sisters in this kingdom. And so, Father, I pray that we take full advantage of that. We pursue that. We make the most of that. And, God, um, even we sacrifice to make that happen. God, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. 
In John chapter 13, we have this beautiful exchange. It's not all going to be up on the, sc- on the screen. We've got just a couple, couple pieces there. Um, but if I was going to tell you a story of John 13, which we're prone to do from time to time, this was the Passover. And Jesus was Jewish, and he celebrated the Passover. His disciples, they were Jewish. They celebrated the Passover. And so what they did before that is they gathered together in a room. And they had the, what we call the Lord's Supper. They did that. They took the bread, they took the juice, we do that the last Sunday of every month. If you want to do that with us, do it. We don't have a table, but we've got chairs, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. But they gathered together, they did that, but at some point in there, Jesus did something really odd. Like, really odd. Now, this was Jesus, right? This was rabbi of rabbis. This was the rabbi that had called 12 unto himself to train them, to teach them, to release them, to do everything that he was doing with his disciples so that they would grow the kingdom of God after he left the church. He started the mission. He released them to continue it. And he did something really odd in this exchange. It says that at one point, he took off his outer garments, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, here's one thing that I'll put out there. Like, this was not a a normal occurrence, for Jesus. It was a normal occurrence in the role of family. When you brought someone in that you loved, you respected, you would do that for them. But generally, it was the role of a servant. Generally, it was the role of the person that was the least in that house or the least in that area. It may have even been the kids, because we've been talking about that for the past few weeks, that socially they were pretty low. But that's okay. We're not knocking kids. We love kids. They're great. But either way, the lowest person would have done that. But in this case, in this room, at this time, in this place, it was Jesus says he wrapped the robe or the towel around his waist and he took on the form of a servant and one by one he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now they would wash, the, they would wash feet when they came in a house because their feet were dirty and if they were going to eat, they had some religious laws but they also just had some understandings of culture that you are dirty, we don't want you to be clean, we're going to wash your feet. You should have already washed your hands before you ate but we're going to wash your feet just to kind of symbolize that you're welcome in our home We're glad you're here. I'm serving you. I love you. Let's be clean together. And so one by one, Jesus, this rabbi of rabbis, teacher, master, began to wash each dirty, nasty disciple's feet. And so at one point, Peter is like, you know, no, 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 don't don't wash my feet, Jesus. Uh, You can't do that. And he's like, if I don't do this, you have no place with me. In other words, if you don't let me serve you, if you don't let me love you in this way and in the way to come, you have no place with me. You need to accept this. And that's the reason disciple, I mean, baptism was so beautiful today. We get to see two people that said, I do. I accept that. I accept the service of Jesus in my life because there's no other way for me to be equally bonded with God than this right here. So that was beautiful. But so he began to do that. And so he does all of this. He washes their feet. He gives them a little more instruction. But then towards the end of it, he says this uh, in, in verses 34 and 35. He says, A new commandment that I give to you, that you are to love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So he shows them this crazy act this out of character, at least from their seat, it's this act of Jesus, the rabbi of rabbis, Lord of lords, king of kings, the one who would be the perfect lamb and the lion at the same time, mind-blowing stuff. He's the one in the room that washed all the feet. And he said, now what I have shown you, I give you a new commandment, you go, you do for the one another. And the one another, like we have love your neighbor, we have love one another in Scripture. The love one another's, the one another's are those who have been bound to God by Jesus, by grace, through faith, and now the Holy Spirit resides in us. Vertical exchange with God, horizontal union with each other. These are the one another's. And Jesus said, love one another. 
But he didn't just say love one another, but he said love them as you have seen me love you. If we gather on Sundays, we sing loud, we listen well, we take copious amounts of notes. Those are all great things. Those are all great things. But let me, let me tell you, Jesus never commanded us, come follow me and sit and listen and be good. That was never his commandment. His commandment was, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. But then an extension of that, this idea, and love one another as you have seen me love you. We can't do that one day a week. We can't. We can get to know each other. We can get to know names. You may even get to know birthdays. But we can't really know, like know one another. The, the know word, when it says to know God in Scripture, is like this Genosco idea of like intimate exchange of relational knowledge. That's the way that we're told to love and know one another, like an intimate exchange of relational knowledge. It can't happen one day a week. To be honest, it can't happen two days a week, but we can make an effort. And so... He tells us to love one another, but then he also, he qualifies it a little bit too, and he says there will be a result if you do this. Number one, you're going to be loving one another, and we have the rest of Scripture to attest that when we love one another, we meet each other's needs, we carry each other's burdens, we call out sin when necessary, we rebuke, we, we encourage, we push, we pull, we do all those things. That's an extension of love. But then also here, he says, and if you love one another, people will know who you belong to. People will know that you're mine. People will know that your rabbi was this Jesus. In other words, people will see me by the way you love one another. We see it in Acts chapter 2. We see a beautiful display in Acts chapter 2 of the way in which the first church, the early church, being released after Pentecost, they go and they love each other so much, it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It wasn't because of the beautiful sermons that they were teaching, and the disciples were doing a good job at that point, but it wasn't because of that. It was because the outside world looked in and they saw that they were sacrificially, generously, regularly giving to one another in a loving fashion. And it was odd. It was peculiar. It was not normal. It was otherworldly. It was supernatural. And because of that, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Family, we have to understand. The way we love each other says everything about who we worship everything about who we worship. It not only says it to the one another's, but it says it to the neighbors. Those physical neighbors that are, that are literal, that live next door, but it says it to your, your co-workers. It says it to the people that, uh, that you may see at the gas station. Whatever it is, the people that are able to see the way that we sacrificially, generously, and regularly love one another, hopefully they see it enough, they will see Jesus. Apologetics is a term in which we use to talk about the way that we defend our faith, maybe even an extension by proxy, the way that we share our faith. Our best apologetic ever will be the way that we love each other. will always be the way that we love each other. Because the way that we love each other, if we're doing it like this, taking on the form of a servant, serving each other even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's not convenient, even when we have to stoop below everybody in the room, even though we shouldn't have to, but we get to when the world sees that, they will see something odd. They will see something different. They will see something peculiar, and hopefully they see it long enough. They will see and they will hear about Jesus. They will see and hear about Jesus. And this, this is why we do community groups right here. This is why we do community groups. 
This is why we, we can't exist just on Sundays. This is why this can't be our identity. This is important. This is vital. Do not neglect to gather one another, to gather one another with one another. Hebrews tells us that. People did. They thought that they could live an isolated existence as Christ followers. We can't do that. So we need to gather, but we need to gather here, but we also need to gather out there. And we need to do it regularly. We need to do it when it costs us. We need to do it when it's hard. We need to do it when it's not convenient. We need to do it because we need to do it, and the world needs to see it. So I've got this, this weird graphic I want to show you really quick, and, and this, may, this may not make any sense to you. Are there multiple colors? There's no multiple colors on that side. Can you even see triangles on that projector? Look at that. Well, look at this one over here. All right. So here, here's the way, here's the, way uh, the church world works, okay? Um, and this is all based off of the way Jesus worked. We see Jesus. He, he preached to the multitudes. He served the multitudes. He preached to thousands and thousands of people. He preached to hundreds and hundreds of people. That's equivalent to like the top of that line, which we would call like corporate worship. Okay? And that left triangle is talking about how many people are involved. And so at the very top of that, it's very, very broad. This is how many people are involved like for, the, for us. For the way that we do things on Sunday, this is the most possible people that we will have in a room at any given time. And during that time, we can talk about vision. We get to talk about the gospel. We get to learn together. We get to worship together. We get to grow together. We get to spiritually circle the wagons to make sure that we're all on the same page. The most number of people involved. Okay? And that's good. Jesus did that. That was one of his environments. Sermon on the Mount, he had them for days. Feeding the multitude, he had them captivated. They were starving. He fed them. He taught them. He, he, he instructed them. He healed them. He did all that. So there were a lot of people involved. But then you've got this other side, this other triangle, and it's talking about how much relational access do we have. Okay? And at the very top represents the least amount of relational access that we have. That's also represented on Sundays. Now, Sundays are good, don't get me wrong, not an identity, very important, vital that we do them, but, but if we're looking the way that Jesus initiated life, the way that he loved the one another, instructed us to love the one another, it's really hard to do when there's a lot of people but very low relational access. It's really hard to do. Because most of the time on a Sunday, you, you know, you may hear from five voices, which is great. That's awesome. We celebrate that. But there's a lot of other voices in the room, a lot of other hearts attached, a lot of other minds, a lot of other hearts, a lot of other struggles, a lot of other sin, a lot of other victory, a lot of other things that need to be known and made known and to be realized. And so it's very hard to do. So we creep down to the middle. These are just three basic environments. And we say small group. Small group, just a general idea. Here we quantify that as like 6 to 16 adults. 6 to 16 adults for us. And so we see that Jesus ministered to the multitudes served, taught, healed, did all of that, the multitudes, but then the majority of his time, do you know where the majority of his time was spent? With the 12. He walked, he slept, he ate, he withdrew, he did all of that with the 12. And during that time, do you know why he did that? Not because they were his favorite people. They probably made him madder than any of the multitudes. They probably made him almost as mad as the religious, but he did that because he knew that's where his investment was going to pay off the most, in those 12, because he had a plan for them. Come, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say it to the multitude right away. He said it to the 12. So he spent a majority of his time kind of in this, this middle ground, not quite the multitudes, not quite the one-on-three, which we'll talk about in a second, but just with those 12. And we see what happens in that time. Like the number of people involved, it shrinks, okay? But the relational access goes up. It gets bigger. So now, not only can Jesus talk to the 12, but the 12 can talk back to him. So, like, for instance, when he says, hey, who do people say that I am? 
Some say Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Some say one of the prophets of old. They answered. But then he said, well, who do you say that I am? Peter responds, well, you're the Christ. You're the one who's come to fix it, to redeem us with the twelve. He could speak. They could speak back. He could know them. They could know him. The sweet spot begins here. And then we go down there and we, we travel down the, the left triangle to the least number of people involved and the highest amount of relational access. And this grows out of that smaller group too because we also see Jesus minister to the multitudes, hang out with the twelve a majority of the time. But then there were times he just pulled off one to three. He just pulled off a couple. Remember Jairus and his daughter? She was dead. Don't trouble the master any further. Your daughter's dead. And Jesus is like, no, no, shh. Let's, don't be afraid. Just believe. And he took three disciples with him and Jairus' parents. There were times when he pulled down from the 12 to just the few, but it came out of the 12. And so, least number of people involved, but then, then, like a mountaintop experience that Jesus had with a few, the relational access is huge. Huge. Then not only can you know and be known, but then you can know, be known, and speak directly into someone's struggle, into someone's victory, into someone's plight, and actually move them down the road in maturity. You can do it in the other environments too, but here, so much. As a church, as a faith family, not as a place that gathers, not as a corporate event, anything like that, but as a family who have collectively been redeemed by the blood, the works, the power, and the words of Jesus, like we can't just live at the top line. We can't just live at the middle of the line. We've got to live in all three. Jesus did. It's the way that he made disciples. We've been called to do that. We have to do the same. Our mission is just to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love this city. And if we're trying to make disciples, we can't just do it at the top. Here, here's what we're fighting. We're fighting hundreds of years of evangelical tradition. Hundreds of years of evangelical tradition in our country. Not bad tradition. We're not, we're not scratching at or poking at or taking shots at tradition. But the reality is, if we're trying to make disciples just on Sunday, we're going to fall woefully short because the people that don't know Jesus, it's highly unlikely that they're going to come and witness a baptism. It's highly unlikely that they're going to come and listen as we circle around the wagons of Scripture. It's highly unlikely that they're going to come and develop lasting relationships in which they can be known and know someone else just on a Sunday morning. We're called to make disciples. Make disciples. That's the mission Jesus left us with in Matthew 28. He says, therefore, now go make disciples, baptizing them, which we got to see today, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and don't worry, I will be with you through it all. That's the mission that he left us with, and we can't just accomplish it on Sunday mornings. We can't, because we have to know each other, like really know each other, and the world needs to see us knowing each other and really loving one another. And so community groups, like from a mission standpoint, from a, 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 a vision standpoint, community groups are our entryway into doing that. That's, that's, that's one way that we function to try to do that. We, we talk about making disciples who love God. Love God, we get to do that collectively here on Sunday mornings. We get to display our God. We get to sing uh, to our God. We get to tell him that he's worthy. We get to listen to God's word, rally around that. But this love one another idea, if we really want to do that well, and we do, because Jesus told us that we need to and the world needs to see that we do, it starts just in those community groups. 
Because in those community groups, like, we gather together, we listen to one another, we share our life, we share from Scripture, we share all those things. It's not just a horizontal exchange of a deep Bible study. It's not just a supper club where we just talk about and have a support group for our problems. No, it's our, our best effort that we do both. Yes, we hear from the truth and the validity of Scripture, and we hear from one another how God is interacting with each other, and then we pray for one another based on our struggles. Like, we are knowing one another, we are being known by one another, and we are attempting to do that so that we can love one another well. That's where mill trains come from. That's where taking care of people in the time of loss comes from. That's where meeting financial needs very often comes from. It's just through. We know each other. We're known by each other. We love each other. And this is how we do. It's right there. It's an entryway into this. But also it serves to function for our, our community groups as another front door. Because the admission that we've already made is it's highly unlikely that someone that doesn't know Jesus, currently alienated from Jesus, is highly unlikely that they're going to walk into Zen on a Sunday morning and say, hey, I'm here for the show, probably not going to happen. No matter how well they know you in our current climate and culture, you invite all you want. That's great. Invite people in. Yes, they're going to hear the truth of Jesus. They're going to hear the gospel repeatedly over and over. But the likelihood, let's just be honest, of them coming, if they are strangers and aliens in reference to God and willingly so, it's highly unlikely they're going to ever walk in here on a Sunday morning. But they'll walk into somebody's house. Say, hey, I I gather with some people. It's just a small group. We don't have to hide the fact that we're doing it as a result of the faith family that we're involved in. But we say, would would you like to come? We generally have coffee. Sometimes we have cheesecake. And then we just talk a little bit. Hey, invite them in. High opportunity, high chance that they would come into that. Another front door. Like, we got a front door over there. It's a good one. But it's also a back door because if people aren't relationally tethered, they'll walk right back out of it and they'll never come back. They will. But if they come into your community group, into a home in which they get to know you, you get to know them, there's a relational tether there. It holds people. Why do we hold people? Because we want to silo them? No, but because we want to have them have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every man, woman, and child in this city. Every man, woman, and child that lives across the street from you. Every man, woman, and child that works with you. Every man, woman, and child that you see on a repeated basis when you get gas. Whatever it may be, we want them to have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. And they may not ever walk in here on a Sunday first, but they could very well walk into a home with you to sit down, have coffee, cheesecake, whatever it may be. Unless they're lactose intolerant, then give them a brownie and skip the ice cream. I love Ghirardelli brownies, by the way. They're the best. Never buy anything else. Ghirardelli brownies only. Hear me. Write that down. But they will. They could do that. That's the why. The how? How we do community groups, man, we, we gather together in somebody else's home that's most of the time not yours. We gather together in a home, uh, generally with a host who lives there, who owns that home. They invite you in. They're hospitable. They say, hey, here's the bathroom. You can use it. Here's a cup. Put coffee in it. Here's, here's a thing, place to wash your hands. Do all that. This is, this is a home. We gather there. There's a host. There's usually a facilitator, always a facilitator, and that's the person that's just going to exactly do that. They're going to lead and facilitate conversation. They're not going to teach you. They're not going to give a long, drawn-out Bible study. Uh, Right now, the season that we're in, the thing that we do most of the time is we do sermon application, sermon recap. We talk about what we talked about on a Sunday, and then we ask questions like, hey, what, what do we do with this? How are you doing with this? How can we do it better? What does this mean to you? Questions like that. That's, that's the how we do it. And here, here's the vital thing in that. Like participation in that, um, at some point, kind of becomes mandatory. All people in the room. I know, I'm an introvert. You may not believe it, but I am. Boy, I force extroversion a lot. And by the time I get home, I crash hard. 
But in that setting in which we're living in that middle triangle, you don't have to put it back up, but just in that middle spot where that small group, that smaller group, that 6 to 16 adults becomes a sweet spot for relational exchange and also truth to be given, like, man, we, we have to participate. We have to participate. But we also have some guidelines for that. And normally, you may go over these at the beginning of each year. I'm going to bust through these really quick. This is how we function in community groups. And you're like, man, that's a long list. I think it's incredibly important. This isn't ours. We didn't come up with this. We borrowed this from some guys I got to spend some time out with out west. And I love what they do in a very different context. But this stuff right here is gold. It really is. And, and the first thing is we want to create, like, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be all, you know, pop culture-ish and that kind of thing. But we want to create a safe environment. A safe environment in this where everybody feels like they have the opportunity to share and be heard. Everybody. You've got a facilitator. They're guiding the conversation. They're answering questions as they come up, but they're not the only ones talking. We want everybody to be able to talk, to speak, to share. What is God doing in them right now? What does God need to do? What are they, what are they fighting? What are they battling? What are they winning at? What is God equipping them to do? We want everybody to feel like they can share. We want an environment that can facilitate that. We want it to be a safe place. And in doing so, the next thing we do is confidentiality. I call this the Vegas rule. What's said in group stays in group. That means we don't go blabbing. Like if somebody shares a struggle in group, a group that you're committed to and they're committed to, you don't go and you say, man, you would not believe what Willie said yesterday. He looked at porn. Not making light of looking at porn. But we don't go and share other people's struggles. Because if we do and they find out about it, guess what? They probably won't come back and they probably won't share if they do. So we keep it confidential. Now, if it's breaking the law, yes, we talk, we will let somebody know. If there's a problem bigger than your community group will handle, you ask that person, can we take this to leadership and let them come aside, come beside you? But that's with permission. We, we keep it confidential. And the next thing, this one may seem self-explanatory, but we need to say it. Hey, in group, we actually listen. We do. We do everything that we can to listen to value what people are saying, uh, to make sure that we do the things that we need to do uh, to not be distracted. That means that sometimes we used to make people put phones in a basket and people got really bent out of shape about that because they're like, but my Bible's on my phone. And my response is, get a paper Bible. But either way, they're like, no, I need my phone. Hey, when someone's talking, don't look at your phone. Keep it, keep it down. Even, even if you get a bling, don't, don't follow the bling. Just, just listen. Actually, listen to what someone's saying. That's why they're there. That's why you're there. We're trying to know and be known, love one another. We can't love and know each other if we don't listen to what people are saying. So we listen. Remove distractions. I realize ADHD is real. I, I get it. I know we all fight it. I get it. I chase squirrels all the time. But when someone's speaking, just listen. Figure out what you have to do. You're an adult that makes adult decisions on a regular, repeated basis. Figure out how to do it in that environment, in that scenario. Listen. From listening, we, sometimes pause is necessary. This is more of a facilitator idea, but this also goes to all of us. Sometimes we're very uncomfortable with just like that pause and that silence. Like sometimes somebody says something and they're not quite done. Some people process their emotions and their needs very quickly. Some people do not. And so very often if we fill the silence with words, they're not going to have a chance to speak. Remember the goal is to, to have a group in which people are willing to share. Sometimes when someone says something deep, give them time to finish. Let it marinate for a minute. Maybe even let it sit on somebody else that heard it, and they're like, oh, man, I'm doing the same thing. They haven't said it yet, but they will. Give them a minute. So be comfortable with that pause. No crosstalk. This goes back to listening. If, if somebody's sharing over here, don't share a recipe with the person beside you. Don't talk about today's wad or workout or whatever it may have been. Just listen to them. Don't, don't have a second conversation because, again, we want them to share next time. And if you devalue them by talking to somebody else, they're, they're not going to share next time. They're not going to do it. 
So no crosstalk. The next two, man, these are hard. These are hard. No fixing. In this 6 to 16 people, that middle scenario, that small group, we're not here to fix each other. Believe it or not, we're not here to fix each other. If someone tosses out a problem, don't be the first to raise your hand and say, hey, I know exactly what you need to do. Don't do that. You're like, but why? That's why we're together. No, it's not. It's not why we're together. We're there to actually speak, be heard, to know where each other is, to know what's going on in each other's life, to know how we can pray for one another, to know how we can intercede, to know how we can address them outside of group, to know what we need to talk about when we meet them later. Don't fix. That's Jesus' job. He does that part. Give encouragement, speak truth, point people to Jesus, but don't try to solve each other's problems and fix each other's problems there. Because again, if you do that, the next time that someone feels like sharing their problems, they're going to remember back to that and they're like, man, the last time that I was just confessing, all I got was advice. It's not why we're here. Wait. We'll get to that. No rescuing. You may be like, hey, that seems like the same thing as fixing. No, here's rescuing. Someone throws out a sin struggle. And you're like, hey, man, don't, don't worry about it. I've been there. It's not a big deal. Here's the problem. Number one, they were doing something biblical and confessing, seeking repentance, seeking healing, and you just made it sound like it wasn't a big deal. We don't do that. Fight the urge. Fight the urge to downplay struggle because struggle is exactly what struggle is. It is real. And if you say it's not a big deal, you've just told them, hey, your struggle, mm, not that bad. Suck it up, cupcake. That's not growth. Now, there are times where sometimes that needs to be said. This is not the place, nor the time. So we don't, we don't rescue. We don't sweep things under the rug, especially when it's vital. Next thing is sharing. We all want to share, but it also means, hear me, you need to be sensitive and aware about how much you share. If we've got an hour and 15 minutes, you can't take 35 minutes of that. You can't. There are 12 to 15 other people in that group, and, and if you speak for 25 to 30 minutes, there's a lot of people that didn't get to share a thing because you shared too much. And you're like, you're telling me not to share it? Nope, I'm telling you to meter your words. Don't be the oversharer. Don't be that person in that group. Understand that you're not the only one there that has life to give and life to hear. There are other people in the room. So be sensitive about the amount of time you share. Be self-aware. It goes along with that. Like, look, understand what you're doing affects the next person's ability to talk, to share. Like maybe your body language. My wife gets on to me all the time, and I appreciate it greatly. But, you know, very often I will lay on a couch, and I will lay my whole body on a couch. Because that's the way I'm comfortable. But the problem is nobody wants to talk when somebody's doing that. Like they look at you, they're like, he has checked out. I'm just comfortable. But what my body language is saying is, you've talked too long. I don't want to hear from you anymore. I need to go home and take a nap. So, you know, just be, be self-aware of the things that you do that affect people's conversation. You're like, wow, you're giving me a lot of rules right now. Here's the goal. We want people to hear and be heard. We want people to come back and do it again. And so all of this is vital. We want to love one another, know one another. The next one, hugely important, I statements. And you'll hear us kind of correct ourselves. You'll hear me correct myself on a Sunday every now and then because a lot of these, they go well beyond small groups. They actually go to the way that we do relationship. A lot of times we'll say vague ideas like when someone asks about application, we'll say, well, we believe the church should do this. I don't care what we believe. I want to know what you believe. I want to know what you think. I want to know what you need to do. You want to know what I think, what I need to do. I don't know who this extraneous we is, but we're not interested in them. We want to know you, me, I. Use I statements. We can say anything about we and they, but when we have to talk about me, it gets a little personal. That's the whole point. 
And I know you're sitting there, you're like, you mean you, you, want, you want me to share about me? I do. That's the only way I'm going to get to know you. And the people in your group, they want you to share about you too because they want to get to know you. They want to know you so that they can love you better, love you more. Actually love you as you are, not love you for who we is and they are, but love you for who you are. I statements. And then the last one, conflict. Understand this. If we get in each other's business the way that we need to, believe it or not, we actually need to be in each other's business, um, at some point we're going to hurt somebody's feelings. Somebody's going to get upset. We have a choice. We have a choice. We take our ball and go home or we deal with it. We're going to choose option B. We're going to deal with it. We're going to deal with it. And, and we deal with it through biblical means. Like we've got a, a list of scripture that we can share there, but basically if someone hurts your feelings, you love them enough to go to them and say, hey, what you said uh, was hurtful, and I wanted to let you know that. You, you hurt me, and I forgive you. Whether they apologize or not, you do that. Scripture lays it out. And then if they don't, you, you take, take somebody else that's a believer with you, and you talk to them. But either way, conflict's going to happen. We want to deal with it. We don't want to run from it. It's going to happen. Like in my family, like growing up, the biggest fights that we had were at the dinner table because that's where we shared the most of our day and we shared with each other what we really thought. And as a result of that, our biggest fights always occurred at the dinner table. But it's because we knew each other incredibly well. We were a close family. We said a lot of I statements. We probably said too many you statements too. But either way, that's where the biggest fights occurred. But we were still family. Next morning I got up, whether I had bruises or not, my brothers and I, we were still brothers. We had to deal with it. I'm not advocating fighting like that. My brothers and I, that's a completely different thing. And we fixed the sheet wall, sheet rock as a result, but that's just the way that we loved each other. In groups, we don't love each other. There's another rule, we don't fight like that. But we do, we do resolve to chase conflict and deal with it. Those are some of our guidelines. That's the, the how. Um, the what of our community groups, we intend for them to be a couple things. Um, we intend for them to be small churches like many churches, like in which uh, there's a family taking care of each other's needs, ministering to each other, literally loving each other well, taking care of one another, small churches. So big church, small churches, taking care of each other. As a result, we intend for them to be healthy. Um, we intend for them to be growing and reproducing. We intend for them to be healthy, growing, and reproducing. I'm going to say that one more time. Healthy, growing, reproducing. If they're not those three things, don't be offended. Sometimes we'll put them down. We'll take them off the map. Because these are not support groups. These are not lifelong. These are healthy, growing, reproducing. If they're not healthy, number one, there's a problem, and we need to fix it. And sometimes that means that group needs to be broken up. Because sometimes, sometimes there's just breeding grounds in some groups, and we've had to do that through the history of our church. Um, if they're healthy, that's good. Then they need to be growing. If they sit for two seasons at six people, there's, there's something else. It doesn't match what we're trying to do. They may be good. They may be happy, but they're not growing. And so we say, okay, uh, let's see if we can figure this out. We need to change some things up. They need to be reproducing. Man, reproducing hurts in groups. Because when one is healthy and when one is growing, you're loving each other well, you're getting to know each other well, things are going really good, and you don't want to face the fact that this group is going to have to branch, grow, and divide and you're going to have to say goodbye to some of your friends once a week. And that hurts. It does. Abby and I know, 12 years, we've been leading community groups. And every group we've led, for the most part, has had to break up and split up. And we're like, gosh, this is terrible. But almost every one of those people are still our friends, believe it or not. 
we still see them. We still talk to them. So yeah, it's painful, but it happens, and it's necessary. We intend for these to grow. Uh, we intend for them to be healthy, grow, and reproduce. And the way they reproduce very often is like, I think it's meiosis in, in genetic terms, like they split. Some go here, some go here. They're healthy, they're growing, they're reproducing. They do it again. And man, through relationship, through the gospel, through truth, this is how we grow. This is how we grow. We can do Sundays as good as we want to do. We can do them great. But to be honest, that's not how we're going to measure growth. That's not how we're going to measure vitality. That's not how we're going to measure the health of this church. The way we're going to measure the health of this church is what happens in those community groups. Are they healthy? Are they growing? Are they reproducing? On Sundays, sometimes we count numbers. During the week, we count names. We want to know who's there. Not so that we can keep track of you, but so that we can lovingly keep track of you. We want to know where you are. We want to know that you're there. We want to know that you're plugged in, that you're growing, you're healthy, and you're looking at what reproducing looks like. Here's the other thing, a couple, couple caveats for that. Um, we, have, uh, we have hosts, we have leaders, um, and something that we put in this year is we have planned off-ramps for those hosts and those leaders. And this is something we should have done before. And as an admission, as a leader, we should have done this before this year. But like, for instance, uh, Michelle and Nico Philippe, they're not here today because it was Michelle's birthday. They're camping this weekend. They had a lot of rain yesterday. Um, they're in a cabin, so I think they're moderately okay. They've been hosting for eight years. We should have told them a couple years ago, hey, you need a break. How about you don't worry about hosting this year? We told them that this season. We're like, look, just, just take a break. Take a break. And even though they're like, we can, Nico, we can do whatever, you know, you need. <laughs> Nico's French. He's like, we can do, you know, we'll do. And I'm like, hey, what we need is for you to rest. That's what we want. The burdens, the burdens have been leading and hosting double duty at their house, and they've been doing it well, and they've done it through a pretty busy season. And we love them enough to say, yes, we value you doing that, but we value your rest more. We want you to take a breather. Uh, my wife and I, we've been leading a group nonstop for 12 years. And I'm the last person to take a break because I don't want to because I feel like I'm a failure. But enough people have told me it's time that we're going to. Abby and I are not leading a group this semester. We're going to be in a group, and we may take some co-leading responsibilities here and there, but we're not leading one. And that's going to be stupid hard for me, stupid hard, but also incredibly good. Here's the reality. We have three other couples that are leading. They need breaks, too. They need breaks, too. They can't take them this semester. I want them to, but they can't. Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. Um, we did that, that uh, survey this year to see where people were geographically, to see what nights they could meet. Everybody chose Tuesday. Um, but we, we did all that to find out where people are, where they, when they need to meet. And, and so as a result of the steps in health that we're trying to take, um, we're, we're launching with less groups than we need. Like we're doing that. We're taking a shot. We know it. We know that several groups are going to launch, and they are going to be full or beyond capacity. That 16 number is going to be in the rearview mirror week one. Week one. But we're doing that so that we can tell the people that we love and who have been serving faithfully, it's okay for you to rest. It's okay. It's not going to collapse. Take a breather. We value you more then we value having this space available. So take a breather. Take a rest. Um, so we have hosts, we have leaders, we have planned rest. Um, but here's the things. Let me be honest with you. Here's some needs that we have as a result of that. Um, we need a few more host locations that match with our geographical needs. We need a host location north of Greenville. Like we've got all these TR, TR Cherrydale folks. We need another host home there. We might have one, but we, we need one soon. 
We don't need it this week, but it's going to be soon, um, and we need somebody to lead that. Now, our host, here's our requirements. Uh, you're, a regular, you're a regular part of Origins. You don't have to be a covenant member yet to be a host. You just have to be willing to open your home regularly, sacrificially. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. To be a leader, you need to be a covenant member, gone through that membership process, and, and have actually sat through a community group for a season, or at least to actually see what that looks like to know what we're doing. They're pretty, pretty low-bar stuff. Okay, uh, You lead by regularly, sacrificially loving the people that are in your group and facilitating conversation in which you don't have to come up with the questions. We do that for you. Um, and so you just have to be available. A lot of times you can do that in somebody else's home. Uh, we're going to need those hosts. We're going to need, we're going to need a handful soon. And, and those hosts, they need to meet the qualifications that we find in 1 Timothy 3 for deacons and deaconesses. Because basically we never tell community, groups leaders, community group leaders this, but basically uh, you're functional deacons. And, and we want to make sure that you meet those qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. Read through those, if you like, if you're thinking and praying through this. Uh, so we need hosts. We need leaders. My wife was telling me something else to say. Yeah, yeah, we need hosts. We need leaders. Um, and so like north of the city, uh, downtown, we have a possibility for somebody within a block or two here to open up as a host, but we're going to need a leader soon or a couple to lead that. Um, we're going to need um, someone out in Simpsonville Five Forks because that Five Forks group is going to launch crazy big crazy big to a point to where there's no way that they can allow kids in that group because there are so many kids and they would be overrun. The, the, the adults would be overrun in no time. So they can't have kids. Here's the thing. We want people to be able to bring their families. Okay? We don't want them to have to get a sitter. But we understand in that scenario, there's no realistic way that they could have 16 adults and 47 children in one house. It would not happen. Okay? And so we need another host home and another leader uh, to grow up out there in the Simpsonville Five Forks area so that we can have kids and so that we can have room. Because here's the thing, too. If we're functioning from 6 to 16 and that group's at capacity, there's no room for somebody else to come in. So 16 is like that top number. When it hits that for three out of four weeks, we have to have the conversation. Hey, you know what? Uh, we love you. Your group's growing. It's healthy. It's time to reproduce, and it's going to be hard, and somebody's going to cry. But let's get, the, let's get the tissue and make it happen. You're like, man, that's harsh. Nope. It's just the way it rolls. So we need hosts, we need leaders, we need them in those areas. But this is what we need from everybody else. Uh, we need patience. Community groups are very, very, very important to the way that we roll. Because not only do they take us one level down, okay, they take us to that middle ground, that sweet spot where relational access grows, numbers shrink, but they also provide the bottom parts of both of those triangles that we talked about briefly. The bottom parts of those triangles are where uh, someone from my group talks about something in group, and I, I say, hey, can we meet for coffee to talk more about that this week? Let me tell you, uh, let, me, let me help. Let me help. Access grows, numbers shrink, but those are incredibly vital. To wait the same way in which Jesus pulled three out, uh, there are times that from that group, you and a couple other people need to meet regularly and talk about the ways that Jesus has given you victory over something that someone else is struggling with. And say, hey... Uh, I'm not telling you how to fix it, but I want to tell you what God did in my life, and I believe that he can do it in yours. Is it addiction? Been there. Is it this sin struggle? Maybe you've been there. Is it your marriage is on the rocks? Mine's been there. God healed it. Is it whatever it may be, whatever you hear in group when people share and you didn't interrupt because you weren't oversharing and you were listening and you weren't cutting them off and you weren't looking at your phone? Remember all those rules that we talked about? When they share something, you have insight in that, you invite them to coffee or you invite them to tea. You invite them to golf, which is another form of tea. You do whatever you got to do. To take the relational access higher, bring the number down, but to actually invest in someone else and make disciples who make disciples the same way Jesus did it. You're like, well, I don't have the authority to do that. Actually, you do. 
believe it or not, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're just like the woman at the well. You have a story to tell, uh, and you have people that are willing to listen. You just need to be open, available, and willing when you hear that door open, you walk through it. And most of the time, that's going to happen in a community group. It's going to happen in a community group. So if you're here today and you're not part of this faith family, um, and you're looking for a church, I'm not telling you to come here, but I'm telling you to find a church that thinks the way that we do. Uh, and you're like, well, that's, that's pretty prideful. No, I'm not. I'm not. That's, that's the way Scripture thinks, and we want to do that, and that's the reason we do this. And so find a church that does that. If you are a part of this faith family, um, if you're a part of this Origins Greenville family, and, and you hear some things and you're like, man, I don't know. I, I kind of think I could do that, but I think it could be hard. I'd love to have that conversation. We'd love to have that chat. And I'll be honest with you, and I'll tell you that it's hard sometimes. I'll tell you that over the past 12 years, there's been some Thursday nights that I didn't want to go to community group. I didn't. I was tired. I was peopled out. But I knew, I knew that the commandment from Jesus outweighed my fatigue. It did. I knew that my, the commandment from Jesus to love one another as he has loved me, I knew that that was more important than me getting a little more rest. I knew it was more important than me catching up on whatever was on Netflix lately. I knew it was just more important. And there were some weeks that it went great. There were some weeks when it was a train wreck. But you know what? That's life. That's the way it looks. And that's okay. That's okay. Community groups launched this week. Can you throw up the list for me where they're going to be? And, and I'm going to wrap up, I promise. Whoop! What was that? It's the chair. On Tuesday nights, we've got several. Haywood Pelham, uh, that's hosted by the Pashas, led by the Hendricks. The Hendricks are out today. Uh, this one, if you want any information about that, talk to Andrew or Lexi. These are also all going to be on the website this afternoon with email addresses. Overbrook, that's going to be led by the Bonners, and we're going to kind of co-lead that. It's just one road over from us. Um, and so if you want to get in on either one of those, those are both kid-friendly. Okay? So feel free to bring your kids. Um, show up with them. Uh, bring them a snack. Do whatever you got to do. Uh, but those are both there. Um, Gant is a new one that we're launching. It branched out of the Haywood Road and the Pelham area. Thank you guys for doing that. Um, that's awesome. That's what growth looks like. Sometimes it's hard. Going to be led by the, the Larrabees, hosted by the Bowens. Thank you for that first time. You're going to hear more about that today. Don't be scared. Just hang on. Um, we'll give you Tylenol, and it's going to be really good. Uh, Sundays at 4 o'clock, kind of a non-traditional time, but it's worked well. It's at the Middletons in TR, led and hosted by them. That will not start today. That will start next Sunday. Sarah and Rob are in California right now. Um, so that'll be Sundays, 4 o'clock, also kid-friendly. Um, if you want to hop in on that one, do that. And then on Wednesdays, Woodruff Road, but it's actually more Five Forks-ish, uh, led and hosted by the Colors. Um, this one's going to be full. Uh, we ask that you do this, and we're going to pitch this out there. Do your best to get a sitter for this group, okay, because there are a lot of families out there that are good at making babies, and they got a lot of them, and if we bring them all, it, it's going to look a lot like Custer's Last Stand, and we don't want that. We're not making fun of tragedy, but it could go down like that, and we love Neil and Lindsay, so we don't want that to happen. Um, and here's one thing that we'll say, and I can't believe, some people are going to get mad that I'm going to say it out loud. If if you're a regular attender of Origins and you're a regular giver of Origins and we, we want that, uh, we desire that, we feel like that's obedient, um, and you're going to that group and you need to pay for a, a sitter, let me tell you this. If you budget to give whatever percent to Origins as your, as your monthly giving, you've planned for that, kind of like we talked about last week, take the sitter fee out of that, okay? Make that a part. Do that. That's okay. We're fine with that. Um, and so hopefully at some point that's going to be relieved when we grow that group out there, branch and divide, painful but good. Um, and that might not be the case because we want people to be able to bring their kids. But we understand that sometimes that's just not, that's not possible depending on the host home and depending on all that stuff involved. So those are the five groups. These need to go to seven or eight by January. Easily seven or eight. 
Because if we do the math, the people that are here, the people that are not here, 16 is our top number of adults. You add the, the Bambinos into that, full, full. It's just the way that they are. And we want people to be able to share, be heard, grow, and be pushed towards Jesus. And that's hard to do with 35 people in a house. Okay? But we're going to roll with what we need to roll with until that time. So give us patience. Be there with us. Make the sacrifice even on the days that it's hard. Let me say it again. Even on the days that it's hard, make the trip. Do what you got to do. We don't grow as isolated followers of Jesus. We grow as a family of followers of Jesus. And we need to make the appropriate choices to make that happen. And sometimes that means we say no to other things. You're like, man, that's harsh. Yep, but I'm going to stick with it. Love you guys. Uh, Zach's going to have a couple of announcements. I'm going to pray. That is my rear that's making that noise. Um, yeah, it's, it's my microphone. So let me pray. And then... Give them encouragement when they need it. Um, and God, I pray that you grow your kingdom as a result of what you're going to do. Um, God, thank you for the hosts and the leaders that you're going to grow up. Thank you for the ones that are sitting here right now thinking, maybe I need to do that. Maybe they do. Let us have a conversation. Uh, God, thank you for being so intentional with us. I pray that we would be intentional with one another. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.